You're listening to the 90-10 rule. 90% business, 10% music. Sometimes I get high to free my mind. Is that alright? Sometimes I get drunk to pass the time. Is that alright? Is that alright? Let's roll up some. Let's pour up some. Let's roll, let's pour, let's roll up some. Let's pour up some. Let's roll up some. Let's pour up some. Let's roll, let's pour, let's roll up some. Let's pour up some. Sometimes I get high to get you off my brain. Is that alright? Right, 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 right. Sometimes I like to get wasted. Sometimes I like to get faded. Let's roll up some, let's pull up some, let's roll, let's pull, let's roll up some, let's pull up some, let's roll up some, let's pull up some, let's roll, let's pull, let's roll up some, let's pull up some. Bank was broken full of overages. Crucified for miles, spokenness. My heart was cold and so emotionless. Here, 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 here. I can't hear my own thoughts. Here, yeah, yeah, yeah. Silence every phone call. Too much thinking and too much time in the attic. Too much drinking and too much weed for my habit. Too much passion and too much swag for the average. No need to explain if you can't change what happened. Uh, loose hands, shakes, and fake smiles. More knives in my back than a steakhouse. Feeling like MA mile. Lose yourself right now, I'm spaced out. Friends pretending they ain't enemies. Haters be whispering cause they envious. No all the pain I got in my memories. Who got the pill that they had in Limitless? Now who says, now who says I can't get stoned? Now who cares, now who cares who's right, who's wrong? If you find it, be clear, a new life, a new air, a new flight, a new stairs, you might move on and get faded. You might move on and upgrade it. You might move on and just get the bullshit out of the way. Right, 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 right. Let's roll up some. Let's pull up some. Let's roll, let's pull, let's roll up some. Let's pull up some. That was Roll Up by B.O.B. here on the 9010 Rule. Artists, if you want your music featured on the 9010 Rule, email us your songs and notice of approval to play my shit at the 9010rule.com. All submissions without written consent will not be considered. Today on the 9010 Rule... I see a lot of people in bad deals. I've seen people who are so anxious, who are so happy to be in the industry, that they have signed deals that they should have never signed. I've seen a lot of people in deals and have never had their own lawyer. And so that, you, how can you win? How can you win when you've already, before you've made a dime, you've given up 50 or 75% of your publishing? It happens all of the time. But again, I think people, people aren't reading. People, people you, don't, you don't know what you don't know. And um, the other issue that I see sometimes, too, are people who are represented by people who don't have any experience in the industry. You know, attorneys are like doctors. You know, they specialize. So if you have a rash, you don't go to a cardiologist. So I think it's really important that um, people are represented by people who really know the industry and they can negotiate terms and explain things to people. And I mean, it's just like a shark sensing blood in the water. You know, if you don't have an idea and you're negotiating across from someone, it's very easy for them to tell that you're clueless. And I think people get taken advantage of all of the time. Um, and, you know, once you sign those deals, and I think I've seen it kill a lot of talent, too, who've never made it out, simply has nothing to do with other, whether they're talented or not, but it has much more to do with the fact that they're in such a bad deal and they can't get out of it. Never, never signed, you know, never signed to a major label. Nothing ever happened. But you know, how could they? You know, they were never going to make money anyway. So obviously you've seen that from the big stories, you know, like, like a TLC. 
Um, but it happens with, you know, independent artists who are signed to a production company, signed to a smaller label. Happens all the time. People don't know what they're signing. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the 90-10 Rule. I am Kevin Davis, and as always, I got Brian Jennings with me, man. What up, B? Listeners, what's going on? Yo, and uh, today in the studio, man, I'm really, really excited about who we have here to uh, to interview. Um, ladies and gentlemen, le- allow me to pre- present to you Janai Davis Thornton. She's the CEO of Envision Business Management. And uh, one of the business managers to some of the most popular entertainers that you've ever heard. She's going to tell you all about what to do with your money. And, uh, well, actually, Janai, are you there? Hey there. (laughs) Thank you for coming so much, yo. Thank you for having me. Uh, Well, let's talk a little bit. Um, Matter of fact, if you wouldn't mind, I guess just give me a little bit of your uh, background information so the the listeners kind of know where you're coming from. So I I actually ended up working in the music industry because I used to work in radio. And um, I used to have my own show on Hot in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And um, we had an intern at the station who always said, you know, he was going to be a rapper. And I was his accountant. I used to help him with his taxes. And um, that rapper, that student became ludicrous. And so that's how I actually got in the music industry. So I was a um, CPA at a very large accounting firm, KPMG. I taught at Spelman and worked my way into radio. And um, through radio and through Ludacris is how I got in the business. Okay. And so since you've been a, uh, well, since you've been working with Ludacris, what kinds of things have you seen about the the industry and, and well, overall, I guess, how artists are are handling their money? Well, let's kind of talk about what we do so people can understand what what our viewpoint is. So a business manager is kind of a general term used in the industry. And um, essentially what we are is we help people manage their personal finances and their business finances. So it's kind of like having your own CFO that's not in your office, that's not in your company. So we help people do everything from file their taxes, pay their business and personal bills. We collect their money. We um, help them buy things. We make sure they have insurance. About half of our business is actually tour accounting and logistics. So if anyone's on the road, we're the one hiring the people, paying the people, making sure that they have insurance, doing the budgets. So again, that's about half of our business. Okay, so yeah. making sure they got enough money to make it back home. Huh? Got to have enough money to get out there and make it back. <laughs> Good deal. Okay. Um, so in in that, um, I don't know, I guess what kinds of things have you seen that like are, are all artists as foolish with their money as the world tells us they are? Or, like, are the rumors true? Um, I think part of it is true, but not as much as people think. You know, I've had the opportunity to work with some people who are extremely conservative about money, very concerned about money. And it's just the difference between perception and reality. What we see on TV, what we see on the videos, what we hear in the songs isn't always true. And then obviously I have seen people be extremely irresponsible and pay a price for, you know, living how they want to live, not thinking about tomorrow and spending it actually before it even comes. So I, I think you get to see both in the industry. Okay. Um, all right. So if you're seeing, you're, you're seeing some people that are, that I, I guess haven't had this much money before, or, or matter of fact, I guess, is that, a, I don't even know if that's a question that you can answer because I don't want you to tell me about Little Chris's uh, personal finances sure. or anything. But, um, because well, everyone says that there is not as much money as there used to be in music. Is, is that also the case? Is that something you've seen? Um, I think that's definitely true now. I think, you know, when I started in the industry or even up to about five or ten years ago, if people were signing a deal, the, um, the advances that people used to get, whether it was from their record label or their publishing company, that has changed significantly. And I think what it's really forced people to do, particularly from an artist's perspective, is people have to tour. You know, it's something that you used to do to support your project, but people are forced to tour now. 
And so that it's a way of life. And I think that's how people are adjusting to the shift, looking for alternate sources of revenue, but also spending a tremendous amount of time on the road. About uh, if you could give an idea of about how much that kind of thing costs. What, when when a smaller artist, somebody who's looking to do maybe like a you know a few city tour, and they're putting something together, what what type of money situation would that be for them? Like if you know ballpark figure. Um, it, it depends on several factors. Are they do they have a DJ or do they have a band? Do you have a bus or are you all renting a Sprinter van or a 15-passenger van, making it through city to city yourself? But, you know, we're actually working on a tour right now for a new artist, and it is tough to make the numbers work. It is tough. And so the day of, you know, getting your bus, you know, that sleeps 15 people automatically out the door, they can't do that. They're literally renting a 15-passenger van and driving probably over 5,000 miles in a, in a four-, six-week period of time. And renting a van? Because off the top of my head, I'm immediately thinking, okay, you could buy a van and, you know, a couple months, if you're done with it, you can sell it if need be. But yeah, and most most people don't have as simple as that sounds, but a lot of people don't have the money to do that. They just don't have the money to do that. You know, you have new artists and if you are signed to a major label, sometimes people are getting what we call tour support. But a lot of times people are out here figuring out on their own. They don't have the money to do that. They don't. So everybody's just winging it. People are really, really winging it right now. But what I've noticed, too, it's also made people be more creative. What can you do when, when you're in each city to generate more revenue? Because before, I think people used to just focus on, obviously, getting people to the venue, selling tickets. But um, in addition to merchandise, what can we do to enhance the experience and ultimately generate more revenue? So is that like hosting parties? or Hosting parties, doing meet, meet and greets. Greet. Yeah. What are the other things that we can do? What other merchandise can we sell to make sure that for each person that's coming through the door, that we can monetize that person? Versus just saying, we're happy that you're here and you have a ticket, but how can we get more money out of each person coming? So is that something, I'm mean, creatively, is that something that you come up with as well? Or is that something you help the artist with? Definitely. We spend a lot of time on that. You know, what's the strategy? What are the, um, and we're really paying attention to the previous data. What has really sold or worked in the past? How can we figure out, um, like for a new artist that we're working with right now, we've never done meet and greets before. And instead of us hiring a meet and greet company, which there are companies that do that for you, but they keep a percentage, you know, they're basically using um, Eventbrite to set it up themselves. We're experimenting with that to see how that goes. Um, how much merchandise do we need to order before the tour starts versus saying, you know, we're going to order a thousand T-shirts and a thousand posters. How can we get the uh, merchandise company to drop ship to us in certain places so we can do smaller, or, smaller orders? So you're just constantly experimenting. Do you have a primarily a female or male um, audience? That also has significant impact. Dudes ain't spending no money. They don't spend the money. So that can be I a lot knew harder. Where that was going. <laughs> Absolutely. So for those artists who are on the R and B side, it is incredible the amount of money that girls will spend on meet and greets, on merchandise, and it just doesn't happen as much in hip hop music. It just doesn't happen. But I, I don't know where these young ladies get this money from. But <laughs> it makes a huge difference. Genre and who's coming makes a big difference. I know where they get it from. Oh, you. <laughs> From dudes. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like, um, correct me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. it sounds me like um, being a business manager or an accountant for the industry, music industry, is a lot different than with maybe a standard accountant at another firm or some, you know, that does private practice. Because it sounds like you you hinge a little bit more on the creative side as well. So my understanding was the accountant more or less counts money and, and, and takes care of the money that's coming in and then also makes sure taxes are, are taken care of. But from listening to you, it sounds like you do a lot of creative stuff as well. So it's almost two, it's almost two hats. Well, it definitely is because the other part that you're talking about, that's what we just call compliance. That's making sure that you're following the rules, that you are, that your books are in order, that you're paying your bills, that you're filing your taxes correctly and timely. But now it is our responsibility too to help you figure out what additional ways that we can help you generate more revenue. Okay. 
So, well, matter of fact, let me ask you this then, sure. because the part of the reason that, and we touched on this a little bit before the show, but part of the reason that we do this show is because I'm noticing that there are a lot of the same people who are saying the same thing. Now, we always talk about independent artists or, or starving artists, okay. as as they're uh, referred to, and uh, how they're you know don't have enough money to be able to get their careers and aren't selling records and you know need to give it up or whatever, right? But then I'm also hearing uh, similar statements from multi-platinum artists who are saying, hey, the money's not there like it used to be. Right. Um, my accountant did this or my accountant did that. I, I think Rihanna was talking about it recently where she had an issue with her accountant stealing money. Right. And so across the board, whether you've sold 30 million records or 10, Everybody's complaining about, hey, somebody took my money. What's going on? Can you touch a little bit on on that at all? Like, why are I guess why are so many people missing money, and uh, what could they be doing to uh, have a better eye on it? So, when you say missing, do you mean that as it relates to um, someone who's taking advantage of them, or are you talking about it in the context of a shift in the industry? And not being able to generate revenue the way people used to be able to generate it. Well, a little bit of both. Because I think that, well, not only have times changed, like the industry has evolved a little bit. Right. um, But even from, like, from whether you're an artist from the 50s and 60s or you're an artist that just came out yesterday, everybody's talking about, well, you know, hey, I got to be able to do some things to try to make some money because this happened or my management... uh, stole money or the accountant or sometimes it's the 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 momager or the parents that are managing and, and misappropriating funds so right. I'm, I, I just wanted I'm thinking from our listeners perspective as an artist that's trying to get this thing going right what types of things should they keep their eye out for well let's talk about the shift in the industry first you know one thing that I've really noticed is previously I think there was more space for people to pursue their dream of working in the industry, and they could do that full-time and support themselves. And I'm beginning to see that less and less now. And so I say all that to say, I think it's really forcing us to be more creative. And for some of us, it's either A, we're going to have to get a regular job in order to kind of fill the gap, or we're going to have to be able to create additional streams of income or revenue. Uh, I see that a lot with producers. I say it with songwriters, but talent as well, because it the amount of revenue just isn't there anymore. It just isn't there anymore. So I think that's something people need to consider and and not um, and and not be surprised by that, and to be prepared to make that sacrifice until they can get to a position where they can support themselves fully, their life and their future from pursuing their dream of creating music. Okay. And so to your second point of um, whether it's attorneys or business managers or um, momagers or who uh, management people being taken advantage of, I mean, do I think it happens? I do. I think it happens a lot. And typically where I see it happen is I see a lot of people in bad deals. I've seen people who are so anxious, who are so happy to be in the industry that they have signed deals that they should have never signed. I've seen a lot of people in deals and have never had their own lawyer, their own representation before. And so that, you, how can you win? How can you win when you've already, before you've made a dime, you've given up 50 or 75% of your publishing? And a lot of people don't even realize that. 75%. It happens all of the time, but again, I think people aren't um, people aren't reading people. People, you don't you don't know what you don't know, and um, the other issue that I see sometimes too are people who are represented by people who don't have any experience in the industry. You know, attorneys are like doctors. You know, they specialize. So if you have a rash, you don't go to a cardiologist. So I think it's really important that um, people are represented by people who really know the industry, and they can negotiate terms and explain things to people. Okay. Yeah. And they know the environment. It's not just, this is my first time in entertainment law, law, 
So I have an idea what law is, but I have no idea what these numbers mean as when it comes to somebody's contract in the industry. Oh, and and I mean, it's just like a shark sensing blood in the water. Right. You know, if you don't have an idea and you're negotiating across from someone, it's very easy for them to tell that you're clueless. And I think people get taken advantage of all of the time. Um, and, you know, once you sign those deals, and I think I've seen it kill a lot of talent, too, who have never made it out, simply has nothing to do with whether, whether they're talented or not. But it has much more to do with the fact that they're in such a bad deal and they can't get out of it. Upside down almost, like a car loan or something. <laughs> right from the beginning. Right. Never, never signed, you know, never signed to a major label. Nothing ever happened. But you know, how could they? You know, they were never going to make money anyway. So obviously you've seen that from the big stories, you know, like, like a TLC. Right. Um, but it happens with, you know, independent artists who are signed to a production company, signed yeah, to a smaller to label. That. Happens all the time. People don't know what they're signing. I had an artist that was um, signed to Mo- Universal Motown on a single deal. Okay. However... Um, we, me and my partner started managing them after they were already signed. Okay. We find out about halfway through that he had signed a production deal prior to being signed to Universal Motown, and they were getting 50% of pretty much everything that he did across the board, no matter what it was, 50%. So production deals are scary things. I don't think people realize it. You know, they say use the word production deal, but that's basically a label deal, too, in, in all, you know, for, for what it's worth. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and people don't realize that. Right. Um, we um, had an opportunity to work with a, a major artist. Who, same thing. He had signed two deals simultaneously. <laughs> so he was in one deal where he had given up 30% of everything, all sources of income, and also was signed to someone else at the exact same time. So again, this is all people, this has been your hope, this has been your dream, this is what you've wanted to do your whole life. And now you're signing almost anything that people put in front of you and you don't have your own lawyer reviewing it versus taking it back. I need a week or two to review it. People are, you know, signing right there on the spot. I'm blown away by, that That just blows my, I don't understand how you sign with two people at the same time. Like the average person, if you have one cell phone, let's, all right, let's say you, you have a cell phone with AT&T and you're going to get one with T-Mobile too on the same day. Like it sounds silly, but when you're talking about contracts, it's, it, it's plain to me, like why would you put yourself in that situation? You're going to have two bills. Right. Yeah, and, and I agree. But again, I just think when we're standing in the shoes of the person who this is what they've wanted to do their whole life, I don't think right. people always understand the consequences. And specifically with that production deal thing, a lot of times I've seen where artists will not realize that the production company they're signing to will work to get them signed to a major label or whatever it is that their, their main goal is. But then they also put in language saying that if they get dropped from that label, anything like that happens, they still have another six months to acquire another deal. It's very scary. I think people need to pay a lot more attention to production deals anyway. Absolutely. You mm. all need to get a, an attorney on to talk about that. Mm. Speaking, of, speaking of that, um, so with a CPA or with a, um, a business manager, is it necessary for an artist to sign a power of attorney? Um, well... It depends on what you want them to do for you because we every we don't have two relationships that are the same with our clients. There are some clients where they um, engage us only to prepare their tax returns or only to review certain things. Then we have some clients who um, we pay every bill, we receive every dime. So it, it depends on what we need to do. So if if we are if you if we are if you're a full service client for us, do you have to sign a power of attorney? No, you don't. But are you going to have to authorize me to be able to make payments out of your bank account? Yes, you will. But you don't have to sign a power of attorney to do that. I'm just wondering because I know some people probably have, have been faced with that, and I want to make sure that they're empowered when they get that request, if they know if that's something that's necessary or not. Well, and, and the choice is yours. You, you know, what I find interesting, like, you know, one thing we talked about before we started the show is, you know, the entertainment industry is one of the few industries where people can, will take their hands completely off their money. And but it's not a hobby, you know. This is what you do. This is your livelihood. And so the more you're not too busy to be engaged or to be actively involved with your finances, there's no such thing. It's it's not true. Well, people think they're too cool to do it. They think it's not cool. They think it's cool to have not people. That, not that, that you aren't cool. 
Understood. <laughs> I, thank you for that. Right, right, right. But I'm talking about, well, artists in particular, they tend to feel like they've made it and it's a, it, it kind of massages their ego a bit because I can say, oh, I ain't worried about the money. I know I got it because I got people that handle all that. Right. And what what I always equate it to is your children. You know, if, if you have a child, you would never just drop your child off somewhere at a school or at a, uh, at a daycare and just and you don't come back. That you haven't thoroughly checked them out, that you're not checking in to see how your child's progressing or what's happening. And your money's the same way. So how can you not be actively involved? How can you not know what's going on? And different people are going to have different things that make them feel comfortable. I think you need to design the relationship to the degree that it benefits you and makes you feel comfortable. Because everybody's different. Everybody's different with that. But you have to be actively involved and engaged. With, with most contracts, I noticed that um, there's a, an opportunity to audit the label at least once a year. Uh, I know that's probably different for every every contract, but how often do you think it's necessary for an artist that's working with you to kind of not necessarily audit you, but at least to come in and, and discuss what's going on with, with their accounts? That's a great question, and I wish people talked about that more. Um, if you have a record label deal or if you have a publishing deal, you absolutely want an audit provision in your deal. So basically what that means, within a certain period of time that you're able to review the statements or what has happened. What we suggest people typically do is audit at least a two to three year period of time. One year is not enough based on the investment. I can tell you this, in the 19 years that I've done this, every time that we've ever had, particularly on the label side, where we've had an audit done, we've always gotten money, significant money, typically six figures. Always. 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 And I think a lot of people don't know that they should do that. Um, And again, this is a very, it's a highly specialized area. We don't even do that work ourselves. We have a, a partner that we work with that provides that service. But you absolutely want to do it. And I also think, too, um, from the label side, it it creates a different level of accountability, because now they know that, you know, within this two or three year period that you're always going to review what has happened versus them kind of getting comfortable and doing what they want to do. So please always have an audit provision, but you want to actually do the audit and not just have the audit provision. Most deals have the audit provision. Most people just don't do it. But how often then also do you do you think it's it's a good idea for the artist to come and sit down with you and review things as well? Is that is that a weekly thing? What what type of time frame do you think is a good idea to just talk to your business manager and keep you know keep an idea of work? Because I know you were saying most people take their hands off and they're just oblivious to what's going on. Well, well, my thing is, I think weekly you need to know exactly what's coming in and what's going out. Um, a month is a really long period of time. I think that's way too long. Um, and it's an exercise. I think it's a muscle that you have to develop that over a period of time that you're getting used to paying you know, attention to what's going on. I think people, if you have online access to your bank accounts, I think you need to get in the habit of exercising that muscle and logging on every day, every other day. What's happened? It takes you two minutes to do that. Like, how are you too busy to do that? But from our perspective, we report every Friday to our clients, you know, what has come in, what's come out, what your credit card balances are, you know, what is happening so you know in real time. Because, you know, things move so quickly in our industry. Um, Two weeks, three weeks is an eternity. You need to know week to week what's happening. And you know what? Didn't you say that too? The the audit provision that you were referring to? Yes. Is that what... uh, because I've, I've heard of situations with different artists where they've had to hire uh, someone to do forensic accounting, okay. basically where you kind of go back and figure out where your money got taken. Is that what you're exactly what you're referring to, or I think so. Something different. I th- I think it might be similar. So what what would happen is if you're invoking your audit provision, you have it in your contract, mm. 
and you're saying, I want to review the, the statements, the activity based on the, my deal terms with my record label. So what you're doing is you're doing a review. Typically, forensic means something you're investigating because you think something is wrong, some sort of fraud, something else has happened. But an audit is, you know, you're hiring, hiring an auditor to do that. Okay. Yeah. This may seem like a really stupid question, sure. um, but how early in the game do does an artist need a business manager? Um, no, that's a great question. I think, you know, at the point when they are creating a company, before they're even generating revenue, they need to have a consultation. Before generating revenue. Absolutely, because everything is about your structure how you have things set up. So you don't want to spend a lot of time undoing or redoing something. So I think it's important just so you know how how your company needs to be set up. You know, separating your business and your personal finances. How many companies do I need? You know, do I need a touring entity and an entity where I'm going to get my advance from my record label? What does that structure need to look like? So I think from the beginning, you need to do that. Do I think after you know what your structure is, if you don't have a lot of activity, you should be able to manage that yourself day to day. Um, Then at that point, maybe quarterly, you may want to consult with someone, but you definitely want to make sure that someone's going to help you with your tax return. That's the number one problem we see in the industry. Yeah, I'm seeing a, I'm I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I'm seeing a lot of artists more recently are, end up going to jail right? because of taxes. Absolutely. Let's talk about why. Well, you know, that's called tax. If they're going to jail, that's called tax evasion, which is a felony. And what that means is you have lied. Either you have not reported all of your income, you've gotten money, and you've decided you've intentionally, you've intentionally not reported all that income to the IRS, or you have made up expenses, so tax evasion means lie. So then you, you have tax evasion. That's the illegal thing. Then you have something legal, which is called tax avoidance, which means you have money that's come in. You've had legitimate business expenses and you write those off. That's completely legal to do. So what I think happens in our industry, which I think is unfair, what, how we judge some of our people, particularly in comparison to sports, you know, you can have an athlete who has an $80 million contract, but they get a paycheck every two weeks. Taxes are withheld. Federal, state, Social Security, Medicare. In the music industry, if you have an $80 million contract, you get $80 million. It is your responsibility to pay those taxes on your own. And that is kind of hard for people to wrap their brain around. Because, you know, if you've ever had a regular job, you get the part that belongs to you. You get the net but not in our business. You get it gross. And I think a lot of times people get that money and they are making decisions based on that full amount, not the amount after taxes. Absolutely. Because if you give me $80 million. I got $80 million. <laughs> right. I'm spending or at least figuring out what I'm going to do with $80 million, not, not mention, 40 Not to mention right. I know I'm going to get another 80 because I can do that. Right. Right. That's coming. Those are coming every month now. Right, right. Right. So, and... And here lies the problem in our industry. And that's why our industry has so many problems. So when you talk about people going to jail, that was um, that's Lauren Hill, that's Ja Rule, that's Fat Joe. And that's exactly what the issue is. We get the money and we're automatically doing the math and we're not setting that amount aside for the IRS. You know, Uncle Sam's got to get his part, but also the state, you know, they got to get their part too. And that's where we get in trouble in our community. Number one problem. Mm. So, Number one. So typically, I know that the um, the way taxes are handled at, at that amount of money is a little different than what you would do for your normal W-2. So can you give us an idea about how much somebody should put to the side for taxes? Okay, great question. And it's kind of hard to answer because it does depend upon what your income level is. So it increases as your income level increases. Okay. Different tax brackets, right? It's different tax brackets. Okay. So um, it, it, the best thing people need to do is, you know, conservatively, you probably want to put at least 20 to 25% away. But that can be a little punitive. That might be too much for people whose income is lower. So the best thing you should do is go to irs.gov, G-O-V, and you could t- type in 
tax brackets, tax rates, and then they have a chart, very easy to follow, that based on what your income level is, it will tell you how much you need to set aside. It will tell you that. And the other thing too, that changes. So what it is today is not what it was three years ago. Mm. Those do change. IRS.gov would be for state and federal, or is that just federal? That's only federal. So for your state, you're going to have to go to your state. Like we're in Georgia, we're flat six percent. Um, other states aren't that aren't that cut and dry. So it really does depend. So you definitely want to go to your state's website. I think that's something everybody needs to probably pay attention to because. I know that there's been several times artists that I've worked with who have no idea about tax. They think, you know, they'll never catch up to me. Oh, yeah. And what I commonly see is people who have not filed in multiple years because they're like, you know, I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to deal with it. How many years is multiple years? The most I've ever seen is seven. Mm. <laughs> the most I've ever seen. And this is a very high income earning person. And what I don't understand is, and it's almost not fair, I know people who haven't filed in a year and the IRS is all over them. This person hadn't filed in seven years, never received one notice ever. Never. So, and, and I don't understand how that works. And I think it's with fear, when people haven't filed in a year or two, now a lot of times people are afraid. Right. And it's just like they just keep moving forward and they're just like and kind of in denial. They don't deal with it. Um, that's a really, really big problem, lack of filing. And the other thing, too, what people don't understand is, you know, the IRS has tons of penalties, you know. So the thing, even if you owe, a lot of times people don't want to file because they owe, but you have to file. And that stops what's called the failure to file penalty. Just because you haven't filed, you're going to pay more. So I, I know some of my listeners right now are thinking, um, well, I don't really make enough money for them to worry about me. Oh, Is that a misconception? Uh, it's a big misconception. It's a very mis- big misconception. Um, based on the IRS rules, if you are self-employed, so it means you're not, you don't have W-2, maybe you're a songwriter or um, a producer, you've had a few placements, you've made a few thousand dollars, you are, you are required to file. You're required to file. Well, I heard on the internet mm-hmm. that... Gotta be true. Right, right. So on the internet, they said it ain't no law that you have to file taxes. No, you you, you have to file taxes. So um, there is also IRS.gov. It will tell you based on your income level at what income level you have to file. But if you're self-employed, if you've made at least $600, you're supposed to file. But if you're W-2, that... That's those numbers are a lot higher than that. So that's a big issue in our industry too, because of course a lot of people get paid under the table. Right. They're like, I've gotten paid cash. I'm good. You know, I don't have to worry about that. Especially in in fact, you, you brought that up, especially with tour money. Cause when you're going from club to club to club and so on and so forth, a lot of times a promoter is just paying you out of what out of the cash that he got at the door. Absolutely. And so what's funny about that for um people who um who get audited by the IRS, what's for an artist, one of the key things that they always ask us for is their calendar. <laughs> they want the calendar. And what they're matching they're looking at all your dates and they're looking at your bank statements to compare. Based on all these dates that you have, did you actually deposit the money that you made? Mm. So um, people need to be very, very careful about that. Again, that's that notion of the hustle. That, But again, the underreporting of income. If you, if you read... Um, People should really read, particularly from Ja Rule's case. You know, he's, he talks about the fact that he did. He made money getting this money, and he didn't report it. Hence, you know, he went to jail for that. He went to jail for that. So you you do need to. The other thing, too, people forget about, you know, you're going to want to buy something. You're going to want to buy a car. You're going to want to buy a house. You don't have no tax returns. You haven't reported any income. So you're, you know. I got you, cash. Okay. You're a flag on somebody's paperwork. (laughs) You are a flag. It makes financing very difficult. You know, you don't want to report all your income, but you you want to buy a hundred or four hundred thousand dollar house. How are you going to do that? And you're you're trying to run, you know, everything under the table. It, It 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 doesn't work both ways. 
So we got to, this is a real business. It's not a hustle. You know, these are real businesses. I want to be more positive and be a better person. Bumping old Tupac, the original versions. Bullshit trends is a diversion. I'm working harder, so I deserve it. Trying to do like every song perfect. I'm tired of old truths and feeling nervous about making it. When it's hard, when you got real shit to say and everyone be faking it. I'm up putting my heart through another track. Bath to roll another blood and just sit back. Cause... I want to be more positive and be a better person Get my life together and stop smoking cigs and cursing All the jobs I ever had made me feel worthless That's why I'm up grinding all night so I'll deserve it All them nice cars one day I'll purchase One day my music will truly surface I'm tired of my dreams making me nervous I'm feeling like the king who ain't been found Still can't believe I'm not famous and I'm underground But That was Positive by Jeff Cush. You can find him on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash Jeff Cush here on the 9010 Rule. I noticed you talked about entities a little earlier. So, um, and I know that no two businesses are alike, but if you could just give broad strokes on what types of companies that artists should be setting up or somebody who's starting a label, can you kind of give an idea of what those entities are called and, you know, kind of describe them a little bit? That's a great question. Um, whenever possible, you should really try not to receive money in your personal name. You really do want to create a company which is going to create separation. So what we suggest that you do is really only only a couple of choices. Um, an LLC, which is very common, which is normally the cheapest and the easiest thing to do. Cheap and easy to do. Um, the other thing is um, entity type. These are called entity types. Um, or it's an S corporation. S stands for small. And that means that there are 35 or fewer owners of a company. That is my personal and professional preferred entity type. And um, again, very easy to create. There's a form. There's one additional form that you have to complete with the IRS to set that up. Form 2553. It'll take you maybe about three minutes to complete that form. S-corporations are generally a little bit more expensive than LLCs, though. Is that correct? Um, the, the incorporation process is exactly the same. There's just this one additional free form with the IRS that you're going to have to complete. Okay. Yep. And so you don't, you don't want to be a C-corp. You know, that's like for Delta and FedEx, you know, major corporations. You don't want to do that. And the only other choice that you really have is what's called a partnership. So if you have two or more owners, you may also create a partnership. But then that is against your name, though. So that's not really giving you any separation. Is that um, true? From a, from a legal perspective or a tax perspective, what do you mean by that? I, I, thought, I thought that sole proprietorships and um, partnerships, they basically the, the business is in your name in, in the sense that if there is anybody sues the company, something like that is going to go against your name as opposed to your company's name. That is very true for the sole proprietorship because you're right. There is no limitation of the liability. Right. That's what the LLC stands for, the limited liability. So you're right. You don't have the same liability protection under a partnership. So... Um, Either the LLC or the S Corp. I think that's what people need to stick with. So, you know, okay, some artists will probably say, oh, yeah. So if I get an LLC, then then um, kind of explain the way taxes work with an LLC and how it becomes its own person or something, you know, go okay. along those lines. Like corporations or people, that kind of right. that we're talking? Okay. Well, what, what happens is um, for tax purposes, you know, obviously we all file our own personal tax return. That's right. the 1040 that right. everybody files. So if you are a sole proprietorship, 
you are going to file that same 1040 that everyone else files, and you're just going to attach one extra form with that. That's called a Schedule C. That's what we really don't want to do because there's no separation, what you're talking about. Now, if you are this S-Corp that I'm referring to, now you're going to file a separate tax return for the S-Corp and then a separate tax return personally. So in theory, that's the best thing to do for liability protection and also from an accounting perspective. But a lot of times at the beginning, people can't afford to do that. Because if you're just beginning in your career, it's hard to afford to pay someone to complete one tax return for you versus the two. So that's why I think a lot of times, two people start out with that LLC initially. And from a cost perspective, normally it is the best thing to do. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Matter of fact, well, I, I guess let me... Uh- I want to veer away from taxes a little bit. Okay. And, and I want to ask you. No, taxes are fun. <laughs> <laughs> Said no one ever. <laughs> right. <laughs> Except the IRS. Right, right. But um, I'm curious about the income streams. I know you talked a little bit about touring being necessary, merchandise being necessary, trying to create additional revenue streams like meet and greets and VIP, that kind of thing. Sure. What other kinds of uh, income streams are you seeing? From an artist perspective. Yes. So obviously we have the traditional ones. Maybe there's some sort of publishing deal. Then obviously, hopefully, maybe they're getting some advance from their label. And um, people who are more creative and have a brand that can extend, you know, kind of a, a clean brand brand that can extend, they will have relationships with corporations for some sort of sponsorship, some sort of corporate partnerships. Um, that can be a challenge sometimes based on genre and content of music, though. So you you have to kind of be really kind of clean in order to be able to associate yourselves with certain brands. Yeah, I noticed you were walking a line there. What? It is a challenge. It can be a challenge. So if you're cussing, right? Basically, right. if you're cussing right. in your music or violent or derogatory in some or fashion, you have even one song about smoking weed, right? Right. As a hobby, or now if you're smoking weed, you might be able to to. Get a sponsor in that area, right? And maybe a cigar brand or something like that. I don't know. Hey, I'm not opportunities sure. <laughs> are there, but, right? But as far as the likelihood of other businesses, it can uh, be a challenge, right? It definitely can be a challenge. Um, that and any any challenges you have in your personal life too can reflect on that. So if you um, um, you know, have trouble with the law, you know, a lot of crazy stuff on social media, you know, at your shows, people are, fights are commonly breaking out. Those, all those things tarnish your brand, which can make it a, a whole lot harder for you to generate revenue. Another thing too, that what I find interesting um, about artists or people in the industry as a whole, um, people know very, very little about publishing and People don't really understand um, <clears throat> digital rights from things like Sound Exchange. Mm-hmm. So uh, Sound Exchange will call looking for people. <laughs> hey, do you know you know anyone affiliated with this particular artist or this talent? Wow. People don't register. It's a very common problem. So there's a lot of money I think that's being left on the table that um, people. People just don't know. Wow. That's yeah. the first time that I've heard anyone say that Sound Exchange calls Absolutely. looking for them. I don't, Absolutely. I don't give them breeze, money that they owe. I don't want to breeze over that. Could you kind of go into what Sound Exchange is for the listeners who don't know? Okay. So if your music is being played on Pandora, um, um, any of the internet radio sites, um, those are um, those are from digital rights. And Sound Exchange, I don't know how they figure it out. They are collecting money um, from these places. And then what they do is they keep a very small percentage and then pay you the rest. All you have to do is register. And what I've heard people say, well, I have a publishing deal, then I don't need to register with Sound Exchange. They're not the same thing. They're not the same thing at all. So it's really important that people do register and you don't have to, you have, even if you haven't sold, you know, Two million records, you definitely need to register for sure. Okay, here's a million million dollar question. Mm-hmm. I've ne- I have yet to meet someone, business manager or otherwise, mm-hmm. 
who understands the way people get paid through streaming <laughs> from a dollar and cents this amount per stream? Have, have, have you had any in, in involvement with that at all? Well, I think there are very few people in the industry who understand it. Right. <laughs> let alone um, whether you're talking about attorney, business manager, talent. I think there are only a very few people in our industry, period, who understand it. And um, But I think it, it goes beyond that. I, I think I have the same opinion whether you're talking about publishing or you're talking about recording agreements. I think a lot of people fundamentally don't understand that they're in deals, but they couldn't have an, an intelligent conversation about it. Because um, it's okay not to know. It's okay not to know. And I think people don't understand um, different terms they should or should not be asking for. I think it's just an inherent part of our business that people just glaze over. You know what? I want to ask a stupid, well, I feel like it's a stupid question, but um, I'm kind of phrasing it in a a scenario. Okay. All right. So I I have a child. And my child has just booked their first paid gig. Okay. Right? And they got a check for five grand. Right? Okay. So $5,000. As a parent, what should I be doing with this money? Um, First of all, it depends upon the age of the child. And the reason why I say that is um, there are specific laws that relate to minors when it becomes to income. And um, California is like a very tough state, and it's and it's state-based. It's not just federal-based. So there are specific rules that a certain percentage of the revenue is actually going to have to be set aside for the future use of the child later on. Different states have different rules. So it really does depend upon the, the age of the child, first and foremost, because you, you have to comply with those rules. It's not about just what the parent wants to do. So they can't just take that money and pocket it and say, well, Not supposed to, I keep no. the lights on, so I, I feed you, so this is mine. So it does not mean that they're not able to be compensated, but again, there are, there are rules that, um, that you have to follow from a state perspective. So I'm, an, I'm not an attorney, so I can't speak to exactly what <laughs> they are, but um, they do exist. Well, Janai, if you would, uh, what are, I guess, some of the most common mistakes that people make when... They're, they're handling their money. Um, one of the most common issues I see in the entertainment industry is people really have no idea what it costs for them to live and run their business. People are just kind of finessing day to day and really can't tell you it costs this, you know, for me to survive, you know, pay my rent, pay my mortgage, pay my car insurance. It costs this for me to record or create or run my record label. And it's just this constant state of finessing. And you can't run your life or a business that way. So, um, and that's that kind of, you know, hand to mouth you know, just that hustle that's going. And, and it is, it's a it's a hustle. It's not running a business, it's a hustle. So that's definitely an issue. Um, the other thing too, that I n- notice all the time, um, particularly when some when people that have um, begun to have some sense of success is the obligation to help and support other people. Ah, oh, that's a huge one right there. Yeah. Hammer. Yeah. yeah. It's oh, huge. Famous. Exactly that. So it can be your hammer story with hundreds of people or just, you know, your your immediate family. It could be just your parents. It could be your siblings. You, you know, a lot of people, young people, the first thing they want to do is, you know, they want to retire their parents. What does that really mean? <laughs> a lot of money. Buy mom a house, and yeah. she don't have to work no more. Yeah, but there's, what still, ta- there's still taxes on the property. There's there's still but all kinds of things. What's the math? That's what Nelly did. Yeah. What's the math behind that? Right. So you make a decision that's a a long term decision, but you can't tell me how much that costs. Right. So what, what does that mean? So you're young, and your parents are probably under fifty. That can live another thirty years. <laughs> what does that really mean to be able to retire someone? What does it really mean? mean to help put one of your siblings through college. And so I think we make long-term decisions with short-term money. You, you know what I've noticed? People don't recognize that they get that advance money. They get that deal money. They may not ever see another penny again based upon their sales. And they assume that no matter how much money it is, that 
that's going to last either for enough time for them to get another deal or another situation. But the truth of the matter is that they may have to stretch that money over a 10-year period. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and how do you structure that, even right. from a tax perspective? If you've never budgeted. If, if you've never budgeted, what are you doing? You can't make those type of long-term decisions. So that's that's definitely a huge issue in our industry, for sure. Okay, here's another scenario. Okay. Right. I know how I am with my scenarios. Okay, so let's pretend I'm a new artist. Okay. Right? I'm a new artist, and uh, I got this song that just shot to the top of the charts. I mean, instant success, overnight, everybody knows my name, and they're singing my song. And I'm touring around the country. There's girls everywhere, and I just made a million dollars. How old are you? Right? I'm, I'm 21. 21. Okay. 21, right? I made a million dollars. And this is probably the best that I'm going to, that anyone that I know has ever done. Okay. Right? So with this million dollars, how long can I make this last? So let's let's think about it. That million dollars really is only six hundred thousand dollars after taxes. Uh oh. Off top. Ouch. Off top. <laughs> okay. So we're only dealing with six hundred thousand. Mm. That's just federal. That that's not even state. So we'll just go with we'll just go with six hundred ain't bad. I could still do something with six hundred. Okay, so you're twenty one now. And you said this is the best year that you've ever had or that you're ever going to have in your career. Well, think about now that you're now that you're 22, you could potentially live to 82. Is that mathematically possible for that money to last? How much longer? We haven't paid your manager. We haven't paid your lawyer. We haven't bought you, even if it's an inexpensive, uh, you know, $100,000, $75,000 condo. We haven't done anything else. We haven't done anything else. So I think you're speaking to what is really a big challenge. You have a very short window now, which could be maybe just a couple of years. You're in your 20s. You make a lot of money. It's not mathematically possible for that money to take you 50 years. It's just not possible. It's not mathematically possible. Because what, 50000 per year for, what, 20 years? Right. And, and again, like- In I savings? Said, and you still have to live. You know, you still have to live. So even if you're extremely conservative, don't do anything for your family members. By the time you paid your team, you know, all that money isn't yours. By the time you get the piece that is yours, you cannot just live off of that. You're going to have... Now, if you have another source of revenue or income and you can put that to the side and you don't really touch that, then you could potentially be good where maybe you could live off the interest of that. That could help support your life. But you're not going to be able to sit down forever off of that check. It's not possible. I think the, the misconception is that, oh, yeah, if I just invest some money here and there, I can play with the numbers and I'll figure out a way to, to, to make it. But you're saying that with $600,000, and that's a really good hit, you had a really nice hit, but that summer's over now. Next year, nobody's checking for you anymore. You're literally saying that that is not going to be enough to sustain your life. You're going to have to have another source of income. You're going to have to have money coming in from something else, in addition to that 600000 that you've put to the side. That money is not going to last you, you know, until, until your retirement time. It's not going to last you that long. And I know what everybody's saying right now. They're listening and saying, well, I'm not going to be a one-summer artist. I'm going to have 10 summers. But the, the truth of the matter is a lot of people do become one or two-summer artists. Man, all the time. All, like how many, Especially in Atlanta. How many one-hit wonders have you heard come out of Atlanta? <laughs> Your favorites, it might be your favorite song, right? but you've never heard another song from that same person. Right. And I think, too, I think it kind of messes with people's mojo and energy to think that I'm not going to be doing this for the rest of my life or I'm not going to be doing this for 10 years. So people begin to live their life and spend their money as if they are going to be on this run for the next 10 or 15 years. But the reality but reality sets in and this run is only two to three years, but they've made decisions as if they're going to be making money like this for 10 or 15. Like they're rolling stones. Right. Abs <laughs> and, and it doesn't happen. And I think that is hard for people to, to live with that reality and to make decisions like you're not going to be here that long. Mm. And then at 21, see, because there's so much... 
There's so much more life that can happen between just just 21 and 30. Absolutely. Right? Uh, namely, a child. You could end up having a kid. Kids are free, though. Psh, kids are free. You let them run around. Where? <laughs> what world? Man, my niece is expensive. <laughs> right. So the, the, the reality of it is, is that it's just not possible. It, it, it's not possible. It's unrealistic. Let me just say that. It's unrealistic. It's definitely unrealistic. You something you want to add? Yeah, that's in my top 10 list. <laughs> what do you mean your top 10 list? Um, when I, I, I have a list of things that people commonly do wrong or um, where, where there's significant financial consequences and um, child support, children, is, is in my top 10 list. Wow. No, no question about that. It's in the top 10. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Matter of fact, is there anything else in that? Top 10 list that, uh, I don't know, that we haven't touched on? Um, sure, there's a couple other things. Another thing that I see people do wrong commonly is, you know, people transact business, no agreements. No so, paperwork. No paperwork. Handshake. Um, if, if, if that, at best. <laughs> That's a huge issue for our industry. Even a high five. Just- because we have relationship. You know, we're doing business with people that we've grown up with, that we're friends with, and we don't treat it like it, in fact, is real business. And the cost of that is so severe. So it's, it's cool when it's cool until it's not cool anymore. And then you know? it's ugly. And then it's so ugly. And when it gets ugly, the only people who win are the lawyers. Because mm. you spent all the money. You know, you're going to spend all the money fighting. But we do a lot of business, um, and we don't treat it like it's real business. Definitely at the top of the list as well. So if someone comes into your offices and wants to do business with you, what types of things they need to have prepared? Really, you don't really have to have much prepared. You know, what we're going to ask you for are, you know, maybe your bank statements or credit card statements, but we're trying to assess. It's kind of like going to the emergency room. You know how you kind of go to triage first? They're trying to figure out what's really wrong with you. You know, you might have like eight or 10 things wrong, but what are the things that are going to kill you versus the things that if they get to them a little later on, you'll be okay? And that's essentially what we're doing. What's immediate and urgent? versus what could we take three months or six months to help you take care of. So, And also part of that depends upon where you are, what your goals are, what's happening in your life. Have, did you, have you, Maybe you haven't filed your tax returns in a couple of years, or maybe you're current on your returns and you've got something else going on. So it really just kind of depends upon where you are and what you have going on. And then our job is, is to help you set up a plan. This doesn't happen overnight. And we can kind of, over a specific period of time, based on the number of things that need attention, we can determine the order things that are going to be done in, based on what's urgent and then what's, you know, important and then what we can kind of put on ice and there aren't going to be any consequences for that. So again, bank statements, credit card statements, if you have any contracts or deals, just something that can kind of help us put the picture together. But more or less, it's a safe zone, so no one should feel intimidated by starting that conversation. Absolutely not. And there's a lot of shame with money, you know, but you, we have to talk about it. Just like when you go to the doctor and you're having like six symptoms and you only tell them about three, you're not going to get your problem fixed. So you, it is, it's very safe, and that's how you fix the problem. But people want immediate results. You didn't get here overnight. We can't fix it overnight. You know, Like I tell people, we're accountants. We're not magicians. <laughs> you know, we can't fix it overnight. But what I can assure you is there's nothing that we have not already seen before. Okay. Well, you did mention it. The uh, I, I guess it's been the same problem or the same set of problems. Definitely. Since uh, since you got started here, it hasn't changed whatsoever. Has not changed at all. That's crazy. Yep. That's same crazy. same symptoms, same issues. In 19 years, it's the same thing. It's the same list. <laughs> so for all of the aspiring business managers out there, can you kind of give us an idea? What's something that you would tell your younger self? You know, I'm I'm glad you asked me that because what's interesting about that is. Um, when you compare what we do versus what attorneys do, um, you know, attorneys have to go to law school. You know, they have to pass the bar. 
to be a business manager. You don't have to do that. And so um, I, I think it's really important when people are looking for an accountant, you want to make sure that you're working with someone who has that accounting education and preferably that they're a CPA, certified public accountant. So um, what I would tell my younger self is, um, you know, there are some very specific things about the industry, but what you really have to understand is business. So there are just there are a few nuances. There are a few things that are just specific to us, but you really just need to understand how business works, how business works, and then understand that um, just to be really patient with the, the the human side of this. You know, people come, you know, with. Um, um, a lot of stories, you know, a lot of responsibilities and making sure that um, I would tell myself to make sure, you know, that I'm being patient and, and listening and helping people, um, you know, meet their financial goals. Where can, and like, I think you've, you've definitely given us a, a lot of great information and okay. I'm, I'm hoping our listeners are, are taking notes. Um, but where can we go to find more information, especially in depth more for maybe their personal situations or wherever it is, if they want to do a little bit more research. I, I was actually going to ask the exact same question because, you know, I, I'm not, if you're familiar with the Donald S. Passman book, all you need to know about the music business, that's like the music industry Bible for most people who just right. want to get the nuts and bolts. Is there a similar type book or I'm seeing you shaking your head? It doesn't exist. And, you know, that's really from a legal perspective. I think I just gave you an idea for your next book. How about that? I think you did. But um, 10%. For, <laughs> it's yours. It's yours. Um, what people need to do if they are trying to get additional information from us, they can definitely go to our website, which is envisionbmg.com. So envisionbmgboymarygroup.com. And then um, on social media, we're at Envisionomics. That's Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we are constantly posting all the time information on um Things that are specific to our industry, but also general financial information. If you work in the entertainment industry, you have general financial questions and issues that we want to help you with. And people can interact with us. If people have a question, you know, they want us to respond to something, they need some information on something, they can definitely um, reach out to us on social media. We'd be happy to respond. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Janai. I really appreciate you. Thank you for having me awesome. today. Wealth of knowledge. Yes. Absolutely. Thank you, gentlemen. Visit us at the 9010rule.com. That's 9010rule.com.